0: as well as full transcriptions of each podcast episode at writerwriterpantsonfire.com. And don't forget to check out the Writer Writer Pants on Fire Facebook page. Give me feedback, suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, and let me know if there's someone you would love to see as a guest. If you have specific questions, feel free to post them on the page and I will answer them on the podcast. This summer, I'm adding a co-host, fellow author Kate Carius Quinn. We'll be doing a series that focuses on hybrid and indie authors. If you're thinking of going the self-pub route, we've got authors who found success with six-figure sales, as well as authors who are just starting out on the road to indie publishing. Learn from them. Learn with us. Mystified is a podcast exploring strange and unusual stories that are sure to make your brain tingle. From aliens to crime scenes, we bring you some interesting tales. We don't take ourselves too seriously, and we hope you'll grab a drink and join us for a laugh, or maybe a scare or two. Join our Facebook group, Mystified Podcast Discussion Group, or follow on Instagram at mystified underscore pod. The Time Turner, Harry Potter in Depth is a podcast run by two siblings who love Harry Potter, rereading all seven books and analyzing as they go. The Time Turner focuses on foreshadowing, themes, interesting nuggets, ties to the main endgame, big questions the co-hosts still have, and hot takes. Time Turner doesn't take itself too seriously, so if you have a sense of humor about all things Harry Potter, tune in. Coverage of book one, and book two, are available in full on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and a variety of other streaming platforms. The analysis of book three, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, will be released episode by episode in the month of August. Subscribe and download The Time Turner, Harry Potter, in-depth, and follow on Twitter and Instagram at TimeturnerPod.
1: It is week five million three of um, pandemic time. You are starting to go back out in the world. We are um, in New York, in my section of New York. New York is, it's not like one big clump. So it's each area is depending on their numbers. We wear masks everywhere. You have to wear masks in the grocery store and everywhere else.
0: My biggest thing with the mask, see, I'm in Ohio and we're recording this right after Memorial Day weekend. So we just lifted the stay at home order.
1: It's terrible. The other thing that's terrible is um, stress. I was talking to my mom the other day and she was like, your sister and I were talking and, you know, we've both gained weight from this pandemic. And she's like, I think it's the stress. She's like, you know, stress can cause you to gain weight. I was like, Mm -hmm. I think it's the eating more mom. She probably is moving less. I've gained weight. And I know it's just I've been snacking more and who cares? Like, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I wore this sweatshirt the last two days and I throw it on again. I'm like, what does it matter?" matter? I have been working out more,
0: actually, just because breakup, as you know, right. when you go yeah. when you go through a breakup. It's just like you're you go through some sort of change for better or for worse. But that certainly has helped with anxiety and with stress, as well as my recent discovery of CBD
1: oil. Tried CBD before for yeah. sleeping because you know I have horrible sleep problems. I've actually yeah, been you don't sleep. So I did. I had previously tried it for sleep. I don't know. I didn't notice that it was having huge effect, but it's so hard to sometimes gauge it. And so I I kind of was taking it for a while. also, what has your experience been? Full disclosure, uh, the
0: company that sent me some is called Jupiter and they are one of the sponsors of the podcast. And they were like, hey, you know, we can send you a sample. You try it out and see what you think. And I was like, sure. I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. I used it. It has like something like 0.03. I'd have to check the bottle, but it's super, super low. It's less than 0% THC. So Mm -hmm. about halfway through the day, I tried to dial out on my phone using the calculator app and, (laughs) um, you know, it didn't work. Right. And so I was staring at my phone like, why the hell is my phone not working? And I kept hitting equals. I'm like, equals, equals. <laughs> trying to, like, make a call. Interestingly enough, um, I have a BPPV. I have a vertigo. It's positional mm-hmm. vertigo, I believe, is what caused it. Because my vertigo had kicked in that day.
1: And Didn't then, it first um, start when you were traveling a lot?
0: Yeah, it started, like, my very, very first tour in 2013, is when I, I got it. And basically, once you have vertigo, you're like always susceptible.
1: So and what um, is it? It's just you feel dizzy and you think your calculator dude, is your phone?
0: It That's part of it, yeah. It's under the Wikipedia entry, symptoms, using calculator to dial out. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. It's also the weirdest ass thing in the world. And when you try to explain it to people, they think you're crazy. Basically... Mm-hmm. There's an amount of liquid in your inner ear, in your head, that more or less works like the liquid inside of a level. Mm-hmm. And that's how you keep your position all the time. That's how you know where your feet are in regards to the floor. And like, that's how you keep your balance is that there's literally liquid in your head that works as a level. Mm-hmm. And um, if there's anybody listening to this that's like a medical professional shaking your head, I am paraphrasing widely. Um, so, <laughs> and, and there are basically these little crystals that grow inside of your head. And sometimes like a crystal, it's like a big cave up there and a crystal will fall into the liquid and it basically screws you up in a major way because you can't balance and so this doesn't get,
1: usually happen to most people. Like this is a very random thing for the crystal to fall.
0: It's a random, weird ass thing, and and it can happen. It can happen for multiple, two reasons. Why it happened to me was because I was flying and I had a sinus infection, so it was a mix of upper respiratory infection and liquid in my head, and then up and down and flying so much, and I just ended up just completely fucked up. Um, Do you know does
1: this happen to women more than men? Are women more susceptible? I don't know. I, I feel don't like know. I, I've never heard of a dude with this, but I feel like I've known like several different women who have had it. I just it sounds like something that like women would have been like locked up for and like put yeah. in an asylum. Like
0: there's crystals in my head floating <laughs> in my brain water. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's true. Um, actually, I know quite a few other female authors that that suffer from it. Mindy Arnett, who is an Ohio author, she writes sci-fi and fantasy. She has really bad vertigo. It is partly yes, you get dizzy and things like that, you can't stand up or sit down too quickly, so you know, you can fall down. That's the really obvious part. But uh-huh. there's also just mild confusion like uh-huh. all the time. Like brain fog and and you have a hard time like being present. Really weird and it's not enjoyable at all. And so when I did in fact use my calculator to dial out unsuccessfully <laughs> on my phone I I do think it was the vertigo and not the CBD because I was like, I blamed the CBD. And then that night when I went to bed, when I rolled over and I rolled over onto my left side, which is the ear that I have problems with, I felt that, woo, you know, and I was like, oh "Oh, shit, my vertigo is back. I, you know, I waited and there's all these different things you can do. Um, There's something called the Epley maneuver that you can do to yourself at home that will will help after all you know you you perform it so many times and so i did that and it took care of the the vertigo for the time and then i started i picked up the cbd again and i never had that brain fog or confusion again and i did notice i will say this that i sleep better um the biggest thing for me has been like motivation and focus is definitely there but inflammation, so it's like I'm 41 and when I've been sitting for too long, like in front of a laptop or whatever, and yeah. I get up to move, it's so bad. I'm bent yes. over, mm-hmm. my legs don't go like forward, mm-hmm. they kind of toddle side to side, like it's it's really bad. The CBD has helped with that. Let's bring in Elsie um, Barlow, her name's Lindsay, where she's going to talk to us about being a self-pubbed author that then uh,
1: went over to the traditional side. It's it's always so interesting to hear about the different journeys and how everybody gets to where they're going.
0: Thank you for being here. Basically, you know, I decided to do a whole podcast series this summer for people that were involved in IndiePub. And Mm -hmm. when you came on to the blog, and you had this wonderful story about your success with self-publishing that then translated into a trad career, I was like, oh my gosh, this would be a great person to have here on the podcast to talk about both experiences and also the transitions. So if you just want to start out by talking about how you got started with self-pub and then just the career trajectory, that would be great.
2: When I was just starting out, I had been doing creative writing for a fairly long time. And I was coming up on the end of my first master's degree, which was in English. I had really wanted to write a book. And I wasn't exactly sure how to go about it. But I was like, I've spent I've put so much effort into so many other things I would really like to try. Well, I had gone online and I had read um, advice about publishing, which was a very good advice, um, which was basically it's impossible to break into the publishing industry. So you shouldn't even try.
1: Mm. Wow, that is terrible uh, advice. Where did you read that?
2: Everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everywhere. The another piece of advice was: if you do want to write a book, you should write nonfiction because it's more likely to sell. Whoa, so that's, uh, so that's so wrong. it's like even if you do end up writing, don't write what you want to write. Write something wow. else. Yeah. I, okay, okay. Wait. What? What
0: year was this? This
2: was two thousand and twelve. That's yeah. interesting
0: because I mean, Kate and I both. <laughs> We debuted in 2013, so oh, okay, we would have been looking around. Um, I mean, at that time, the YA boom was happening. Mm-hmm. It was um, yes. So I get. I mean, it it could be a little different. I'm not sure what everything w- that was going on in other markets at the time. But I mean, yeah. in general, yes, trad pub is hard to break into. It is not impossible.
1: I definitely think, though, like there are sources out there that I feel like if you're you're not confident and if you are on the fence that it can feel discouraging. Agent blogs were huge at that time, like Mm. every single agent seemed to have a blog. And I remember reading a lot of them that were like, what is special about your story? Why do you need to tell this story? What makes this book, you know, something that people should read? I guess I have like enough self-confidence or I don't know, like stubbornness to be like, my book is good and I'm gonna push it out there <laughs> anyway or whatever. But right. it is just I, I could see like that sort of advice being discouraging, starting out. Agents think- are trying to like impress upon people that it is difficult. Because I think they see so many people who are just Sitting down and throwing words on a page and being like, da my masterpiece. Later on, I did end up hearing stories about people
2: that, for instance, it was 11 years after their MFA that they, they finally got a publication, which, I mean, is possible, right? It, it mm-hmm. all depends on the person, the process, the genre. Right. That was the advice that I had read at the time. And so I thought, well, I want to do creative writing. I want to write a book, so I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And I wrote it and I didn't really read through it, which I'm sure is making a lot of people roll their eyes right at this moment. Not without reason. I went ahead and just, without really going back over it, I put it on Amazon and I ended up putting it on Smashwords.
1: And one of the reasons why... Can I interrupt? What was your reason that you didn't want to read through it again?
2: One of the reasons why was that Hugh Howey had just come out with Wool pretty recently. Mm -hmm. and He had a process by which he would, he had self-published Wool, and then he had used his reader's comments to revise it. And so mm. I thought, you know what? It doesn't have to be perfect if it's going to be in a process, so I'll put it up, and then I'll read people's responses, and I'll revise it. And that was the plan going in. I put it up on Amazon and on Smashwords, and in the beginning, the main comment was that People didn't really like the cover
1: (laughs) Um,
2: because I had just found some stock images. While this was occurring, I read up on BookBub Mm -hmm. and BookBub was heralded as like the best way to advertise for the book. And the way that you do this is first you have to get around 25, four to five star reviews of of the book before they'll even look at it. And then it also needs to be pretty good quality. While I was trying to get reviews, um, I went ahead and I contacted BookFly Design and Bookfly Design created a really wonderful cover for um, Pivot, and it it was fantastic. And they themselves said, hey, you know, why don't you um, submit your book for awards? While that was going on, I did Goodreads giveaways and I did quite a few they used to be free um, mm-hmm. so now Amazon owns Goodreads and they charge somewhere around a hundred or more dollars per giveaway um, but it used to be free and I did quite a few 25 to 30 book giveaways to get to that 25 review area so I could submit to bookbub um, and I did get a bookbub ad. Um, While I was submitting my book to awards and the day that the BookBub ad ran, which it's a, if you don't know what that is, it's a sort of email newsletter that goes out with lists of books that are eBooks that are running at about a dollar. It's either free to like $2.99. So the day that it came out, I got about 12,000 downloads because I had made my book free. And then over the next several days, it ended up being around 35,000 downloads. Oh, um, yeah, that's a ton. within that week. I got a response from the awards that I had submitted Pivot to, one of which was the Bram Stoker Awards. And it was on the preliminary ballot for the 2014 Bram Stoker Awards. And I was like, I don't really know. Much about the World Horror Association or World Horror Convention. At that time, that's what it was called before Stoker Con and World Horror Split into their separate conventions. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna go check this out. I think it would be really interesting. So I went to to Portland, Oregon in 2014 to go to my first World Horror Convention. Fortunately, one of the very first people that I ended up meeting and speaking with was Dallas Mayor. or he wrote under Jack Ketchum. He has unfortunately passed away, and he invited me and another person over to the bar for a drink. So I went over there, and I let him know about my book later on i was walking around and an entertainment lawyer stopped me and he said hey you know why don't you send your book to me i was like okay i will definitely do that Mm -hmm. Um, and i ended up meeting him again later on that weekend at a book release party for josh Mellerman's bird box the next day i mean i had one sent to him he read over it and it was a mess like i said i had never gone over it which i was really regretting by the time he put his eyes on it, They brought in an entertainment manager, a wonderful, wonderful guy named Orion. They both took a look at it and they were like, in general, whenever you have a manuscript, you need to revise it about three times before an agent, three times with an agent, and three times with a publisher, Um, smaller and smaller revisions each time. And they said, with your book, it's going to take about four revisions before we can send it to an agent. And I said, that's fine. I will do the work. It took me about six months, but I really, really revised that manuscript, and it took me about two and a half revisions, and I credit that to my work ethic, Um, and they were like, okay, this is good, you know, uh, this can be sent off to agents. Over the course of a year, they ended up sending it to four different agents, the fourth one picked it up. The first one took a look at it and she said, you know, this is really great. She saw promise, but she said, you know, I'm looking more for literary horror because literary horror can be advertised as both horror as well as lit, right? Not just Mm -hmm. one. So it has to do with marketing. She really liked it though. And she had an agent friend of hers. So she recommended it to her and within 24 hours the second agent had read it. The first wait time was three months. The second wait time was 24 hours. And that's the difference between being in a slush pile and having a recommendation. So the second agent reads it and she goes, you know, this is, this is just two notches off of what I normally represent. She said, I normally represent uh, dark fantasy and this is more horror than dark fantasy. So they sent it to a third agent who passed on it, and then the fourth agent picked it up. And that was the wonderful, wonderful agent that I have, Jonathan Lyons. So that's how I got into the industry. After he took a look at the manuscript, he said, this really needs to be split into two books. And I had already foreseen it as a trilogy, but I had already done so much work on it. I was like, I want to try to not split it. And so he went ahead and he sent it off to publishers and all of the publishers who responded said this needs to be split into two books. Mm -hmm. so I split it into two books um, and that took about a year. I split it up and then I built the first section up that went out again to publishers while I was building the second section of the second book. And that one was finished by the time I got my book deal, which was in May, I believe, 2018. And so I had two of the three books created. And that's why I was able to get a three book deal for the trilogy with that publisher, which was Robert Peterson. And he works with California Cold Blood Books, which is an imprint of rare bird books. By that time, I Felt also a lot more confident in being able to create that third book, especially on a time schedule, uh, because I had been able to work and work and work on that first and second book. And most people will tell you that the second book is more difficult to write than the first one. And that was certainly true for me. Uh, I had written the first one through trial and error with very little understanding of plot. I wrote about a thousand single spaced pages to produce a 250 page single spaced book. It was trial and error. And the second book, fortunately, I had started my MFA right before. I got that contract. Nancy Holder, a wonderful professor and writer, she talked about two craft books that she uses for every single novel she writes. I took a look at those books, and I was able to use them to write my second novel, and I felt far more confident going forward, figuring out what I should do when I get stuck. Oh, I should say, by the time I got an agent... I had had a second BookBub ad, and that got me another 30,000 downloads. So by the time the book was pulled because I got the book deal, I had around sixty-five to 70,000 downloads of the book.
1: And how many reviews did you have on the book at that point?
2: About 150 reviews on Amazon, and we'll say I'm going to guess around 30 on Barnes & Noble, and I'm not sure about everywhere else.
1: The book was free the whole time, so it wasn't something that you were earning income on.
2: Correct. I've gone back and forth about whether I should have ever charged anything for it. I think I would not have had as as wide of a reader base if I had charged just because Primarily the genre. I think my ultimate goal was to try to break into traditional publishing. And so a wider reader base was what I was going for, a bigger platform, I guess.
1: And so do you feel like all those download numbers um, were helpful to you in securing an agent and a publishing deal?
2: I think if you can demonstrate any sort of platform like that, yes. And I I do think that that helps me get noticed. But then what kept their interest was my ability to really revise.
0: Skylar Finch can't stand Truman Alexander. So when her phone starts sending her notifications from the future, and it looks like she's with Truman, as in romantically, she goes on a quest to fix it but changing the future means complicating the present in now and when a romantic dramedy with a time travel twist by Sarah Bennett Wheeler. Finding your way means accepting that life doesn't come with a roadmap and that people like glitchy phones are full of surprises. Now and when is available now. Make your pages look professional with Vellum. Margins, headers, page numbering, font, line spacing, all happen automatically with every book you create. Generate eBooks for Kindle, Apple Books, Kobo, and others. Or deliver a beautiful print book to your readers. Visit tryvellum.com forward slash pants to learn more. Vellum, create beautiful books. So you talked about going to what's now StokerCon and those connections that you made there. I'm always telling people that publishing is just like any other industry, but I think even more so in that it's networking, 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 being around people and meeting people and then your, your circles expanding. I feel like that connection for you seemed pretty critical.
2: I have done the query process before. This was a long, long time ago for something else. My recommendation is to go to a convention. Anne Rice, well-known horror writer, she, um, she, that's how she got her agent, was she signed really? up for a workshop at a convention in California. And I believe the person who led that workshop, they kept in touch and she eventually brought her to her agent. When I went there, that it was definitely that, Personal connection, Um, and you know, it doesn't have to feel like work. You know, just go go to the bar after you know the day is over, and then talk with authors. Most authors know what it's like to just be starting out, and they want to give you a hand up. Um, Most authors are not mean; they are there to make friends. I have people I still speak with that I met in Portland in two thousand fourteen, and we talk you know weekly. Those people who are at conventions, they're not just giving, I guess, lip service to the idea of publishing. They Mm -hmm. are buying a ticket and paying money for a hotel to be there. They want to be there, and they've already proven it. And you will meet lawyers, agents, managers, editors, publishers, and other authors. And other authors are willing to take a look at your work.
0: I think that's definitely true. I mean, I know, obviously, Kate and I know each other From being authors, but it is very true that at any writer's convention or anything like that, a lot of us do spend a lot of time hanging out in the bar, not gonna lie. So, oh my gosh, it's so true. I
2: don't think I had ever had so much to drink. We're pretty good at drinking,
0: only at social occasions where Kate is there to clean me up afterwards because that's been her job (laughs) a couple of times now. (laughs) Kate holds the the dubious record of being the only woman that has ever taken my pants off actually <laughs> <laughs> ah. i personally find that authorial world to be pretty welcoming i even in bumping elbows with some bigger names and running mm-hmm. into people i have never really felt any cold shoulders or anything like that or, or met mm-hmm. anybody that clearly felt that they were too important to uh, right. speak to me or anyone else,
2: I just know that World Horror and Stoker Con were very welcoming.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, For and a lot most of people,
1: though, those conventions are also like if you're a super introvert, the idea of going to a convention by yourself is a nightmare. They're also very, very pricey, um, and so I never did any conventions or anything like that before I was published, and I've only done them since I was published. As like a speaker or something so that, you know, I was getting something comped, usually the convention comped and, you know, maybe my room as well or travel or whatever, um, mm-hmm. because they are expensive. And because I am a little bit of an introvert, I have a really hard time going to a place where I don't know anyone and to like walk into a room like that is like, it's really scary for me. So I only go oh, to yeah. places where I have Mindy and or Demetria. We probably look like kind of clicky sometimes. I am afraid to go out and uh, like, I'm not the person who's going to be like, hey, everybody, I'm Kate. That first convention,
2: I almost turned back. Before I even got on the plane, my best friend was dropping me off. And I was like, I'm scared. And he was like, oh, it'll be okay. It can be scary. But I think So are many things in life that you're not used to. And and one of the reasons why it's so scary is you're just not used to it yet. Um, I will say, fortunately, like I teach at a community college and being in front of 30 students day in and day out has slowly but surely uh, gotten rid of a lot of that public speaking anxiety, fortunately. Mm. And it's scary, but it's also it can be miraculous. I would say make sure to weigh both parts equally.
1: Mm-hmm. So for people out who are listening to this and they are, you know, considering their strategies for publishing, would you say do what I did or would you say like this was something that worked for me, it's not going to work for any everyone. It was kind of a lot of lucky pieces that sort of fell into place. Because you see a ton of free books out there on Amazon. I think it's become a lot more difficult also to get a book bub What would you say to other people who are at the spot, place where you were, when you were first reading advice that it's too hard to get published, don't even try? My
2: advice is to throw everything at it. Um, It doesn't have to be like just one router or two routes. I would say do every single thing you can at all times. And the other thing is that, which I didn't realize until after um, I got the book deal, was that. Being a writer and publishing, it's a lifestyle. It is not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. It is all the time. It is 24-7. And if you are naturally inclined to do that, I feel like you will eventually break in. It's what will also ensure that once you break in, you'll get somewhere. Because breaking in isn't all of it, right? After you Mm -hmm. break in, there's the next book to, I mean, you have to advertise. It's it's crazy. Um, There's so much to it. There's so many working parts. And if breaking in is intimidating, the rest of it's going to be just as intimidating for you. I don't know if I could, if I should say like, go my route, um, Mm -hmm. because I didn't even really pick a route i just threw everything at it you know i went to conventions i submitted my book for awards i made my book free i tried to get as many ads as possible i tried to get a good book cover it it was just me sort of like trying to hit everything uh not choosing one route there were many things that i couldn't have controlled but everything that i could control i did my best at for my mfa project I interviewed 12 successful self-published authors, including like Andy Weir, Christopher Paolini, David Chilton, Michael Sullivan, et cetera. One of them, um, I think it was Michael Sullivan said, most people think that when they get that book deal, they're done. Like mm-hmm. the publisher will handle it. The publisher is not going to take care of things. You're going to have to contact the library. A lot of the success is up to you. And so once again, it's not a part-time or full-time job. It's a lifestyle. And it's because you love it, right? If you didn't love it, I don't know how you would do it.
1: Yeah, don't do this if there's something else that you could do. So when you say lifestyle, you're not saying quit your day job. More would you say of a mindset? Because I mean, writing takes a long time if any time ever, to become something that's stable and where it's an income that you can really count on. My fifth and
0: sixth books came out, I think in 2017, I had two books come out. And that was when I hit a point where I was able to say, okay, I'm going to quit my job and do this full time. But it wasn't necessarily because of the fact that I was financially able to do it. There were a lot of, there were a lot of elements and part of it was that my, I still had a position at the school where I worked, but the duties had changed and I wasn't going to be in the library as much. They were, they had moved me around. I was going to be in classrooms. No, I'm not going to do that because I think I am well known enough now that I can get a school visit that will pay me more for one day than I make in two weeks off of my paycheck at the school. However, the difference then becomes I'm giving up benefits. I don't have retirement. Mm-hmm. I don't have insurance. I don't have, and I still, like, I don't even now. I mean, so- I have insurance, but I pay for it. So that's the kind of thing where you, oh God, you just you just have to take every single thing into account because you just never know. You never know how much money you're going to make. And I've had the experience, like, trying to get a loan, where it's like, you know, we need to see your tax returns for the past three years and an estimate of, you know, how much you will make in the coming three. And I'm like, yeah, I have no idea. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, no, literally, guys, I was like, I could make zero this year. I could make a hundred thousand this year.
1: I I don't yeah. know.
0: I literally don't know. And I have banks loans.
1: love that. I don't know. It's Like I don't know how much money I'll make. Banks are like, oh, perfect. That's that's what yeah, we love, they love to hear.
0: <laughs> They'll give you so many free houses. Yeah. I mean, I I had so many loan officers sit across from me around the desk and, and and literally tell ask me how do you live like this. If I'm a farmer's daughter. I grew up with we hope it rains so that you can have shoes. So it's like I'm I'm used to this. I meant lifestyle more like
2: in terms of if you have a child, you are not going to say from eight to five, I worked with that child. And then from this point to this point, I I went and made dinner and this point to this point, right? No, a a child is 24 seven, a child is a lifestyle choice. Um, Writing is the same thing. It's a way of living. It's a constant present. A constant presence. Yes. Um, and then also, in terms of, you know, jobs, there was a, a horror writer, Brian Keene, actually, and he, you know, he had a day job, which was um, a part time job, I believe, with the post office and he had benefits with it, but he was making good money with his writing. So he decided to quit. And mm-hmm. very shortly after that, he had a heart attack oh and because God. he had no health insurance, he lost a, a good, and he, he gives a warning to like all writers about this. He lost mm-hmm. all of his savings. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, whatever you do, keep a job, don't lose your health insurance because you could lose everything essentially. Yeah. Cause
1: I mean, yeah. if you live in
2: the United States, that's, that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but also I think like for me, teaching gives me a social aspect yes. um, to balance out the intense private aspect of writing. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, So if you're just sitting in a room, it doesn't matter how nice the room is. It could be a mansion or it could be a shed, but you're going to see those same four walls every single day. And if you don't get out and socialize, it can drive you crazy. I mean, it's very much The Shining with all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy,
1: right? It's Um, actually very much everyone's life right now. (laughs) 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 We're all living in The Shining. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I think I think that's a great point, though, because when, all right, so uh, we're recording this on May 26th. Uh, some states are starting to emerge from the COVID uh, quarantine. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that as someone who's, you know, been out moving through the world with a mask on and, and everyone is, you know, that's the point of conversation is... The epidemic, and people will be like, Well, how are you coping? And I'm like, Dude, my life is exactly the same as it was before. The world ended. The world actually ended, and my life did not change one bit. And that was a really interesting observation for me. Um, I do, I like what you're saying about the sociability aspect because it is important. I started substituting pretty regularly this year because of the fact that. I mean, I was just home and, and I'm, um, you know, it's the nature of the beast. I'm in front of a screen so much. Like that's all I do. You can really dabble with some dark fats when you aren't getting out there and you aren't interacting. Um, oh yeah. Kate and yeah. I and Demetria, we talk every day pretty much at this point, mm-hmm. usually on Slack, but it's like, there are days when that's my only interaction um, with adults. And I had a moment last fall uh, when I started, when I decided I was going to start substituting because um, I went, I work out like uh, usually two or three times a week and I don't go to the gym until like five o'clock. And I went into the gym, you know, I'd been up since like 839 and someone said hi to me and I said hi back and my voice was like hoarse and they're like, oh, are you okay? Are you getting sick? And I'm like, no, it's just that this is the first time I've spoken today. and so it was like my throat my voice my brain everything was like wait how do you do this right like it was just Mm -hmm.
1: oh when I was a little little kid I I wanted to be a writer as early as like second grade but then like around middle school I got into theater and I actually went more to theater and that's why I even went to undergrad for theater because I was like I I liked the The fact that it was collaborative and that it was social and I was like I don't think I want to do something where I'm stuck in a room by myself all day and you know after theater I went to film school and I didn't start writing seriously until my husband and I were living in Tennessee I didn't know anyone there I had no friends and I had a newborn baby and I was essentially stuck in my house alone Mm -hmm. with no one And I was like, well, shit. Yeah, <laughs> I got what I wanted. I have a writer's lifestyle, so I might as well start writing.
2: When something happens that forces you to be still? when you aren't allowed and this is like when restrictions force you to be creative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My, one of my professors would always talk about how sometimes the complete lack of restrictions in, for instance, writing poetry um, can make it more difficult to write a poem versus, you know, if you have a certain restriction for the stanza or something, then, mm-hmm. then it becomes more creative. So it's interesting sometimes how, you know, restrictions in our daily lives end up forcing us, to 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 write finally or to be more creative in some way
0: you were talking about just the lifestyle of being a writer and how it's a constant um Mm -hmm. even if you're working full-time or part-time whatever your hobbies are it's very true um and I can say that now as a full-time writer I'm not necessarily going to be working on writing things all day today because I mean it's effing hot outside I will go outside and I will do, I try to get up and I run every morning and I work out either at home or at the gym every night. And in between those times, like those are my, those are my flags. Like these are, this is when you get up and this is right before you eat. Everything in between that is my call. So, and everything after that is my call. And Mm -hmm. that's cool. It's really freeing. But you also hit a point where it's like, you absolutely must no excuses you have to be a self-starter if you are not a self-starter if you need a cheerleader if you need a team you can't do this because oh my gosh is that true yes it is so Mm -hmm. true i have like this really old house uh i have a pond i have four acres i garden i do you know flowers all the time i am constantly moving from the time i get up in the morning until i go to bed i am doing something And that's just to keep shit from collapsing, honestly. And it has hit a point where it's like, I literally don't know how to relax. And um, Um, it's probably not my best attribute, but man, do I get shit done. (laughs) (laughs) Right
2: before I started writing, I had taken two pills of um, a type of antibiotic that ultimately made my tendons swell to the point that my hands went numb and my mm. feet went numb. Oh, my um, gosh. And I had to go to the doctor, and she had to do a blood test to see if I was losing, like, muscle mass due to this, because if so, I needed to be hospitalized. Um, and it took me seven months to recover, and but it forced uh. me to be still mm-hmm. um, so my muscles wouldn't hurt in a way that I had never for, been forced to be still before like I would run every day um mm-hmm. but being forced to it's like that's that was the extra push I think um to, to write a novel yeah.
1: so it makes you wonder how many novels are gonna come out of this pandemic with so ah, many people like at home novels yeah. and babies
0: and divorces that's that's what we're gonna see
1: yeah. yeah, but at the same time, there are still people who aren't going to be able to make themselves do it because I'm sure both of you guys know anytime you're out in company and people find out you're a writer, oh, I always wanted to write a book.
2: It's, yeah. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> Go ahead. I
1: say, cool, do it
0: like that is the the one advice question I get all the time. And and it's, it's not meant to be a shitty answer, but it's actually the answer. People will say, how do you write a book? And I said, you sit your ass down and you do it. Mm, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's true. And it's and, and the hardest it's not, part of it. Yeah,
2: most people starting out, I should say, think you can build Rome in a day, and it's like, mm. no. Don't be disappointed if you don't get it written the first month.
1: That's mm-hmm. acceptable. Shit.
0: That's yeah, perfectly
2: no. acceptable. <laughs> yeah. No.
0: I mean, I, I draft quickly now, but I certainly yeah. didn't when I began. Exactly.
2: And it's like any
0: other muscle; you have to build it over time.
2: Most people, it takes them about a year, I would say, to to create their first novel. And then other people, like, for instance, Cold Mountain, that author worked on that book for 10 years in yeah. that book alone.
0: Well, I should probably mention for listeners that Lindsay's books are published under the name L.C. Barlow. And do you want to, as a last thing, let everyone know where they can find you online, your social media, and sure. where they can find your books?
2: Yeah, and um, you can find me on lcbarlow.org. I'm on Twitter as LC Barlow Author and Instagram under the same name, LC Barlow Author. I'm also on Cora under Lindsay Barlow. Um, and you can find my books pivot is coming out this year and then peak is coming out next year uh you can find them on amazon barnes and noble wa- at walmart target um and writer writer
0: pants on fire is produced by mindy mcginnis music by jack corbel don't forget to check out the blog for additional interviews writing advice and publication tips at writer writer pants on com. If the blog or podcast have been helpful to you, or if you just enjoy listening, please consider donating. Visit writerwriterpantsonfire.com and click support the blog and podcast in the sidebar.